Well, good morning. Welcome to our Sunday School Hour uh, here at Long Hill Baptist Church in Trumbull, Connecticut. We're glad to have you with us this morning. Uh, I know we didn't have music this morning, uh, but uh, that'll be back next week. Take your Bible this morning, please, and turn to Proverbs 22. Uh, Proverbs 22 this morning, please. This is uh, a, a little bit of a departure for us in Sunday School. We're, we're doing a quick series in Proverbs uh, next week, uh, Zachary plans to begin a four-week series that will look at the teachings of Islam. And of course, there's nothing unloving that we intend about that, but we intend to lovingly uh, make a comparison of the teachings of Islam to the teachings of uh, Scripture, of our Bible, uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. So I want to encourage you uh, to be sure and uh, plan to uh, watch all four of those very, very important lessons. Meanwhile, this morning, uh, we're in Proverbs 22, and this is certainly important as well. And what I want to look at this morning is uh, really the main theme of this chapter of Proverbs. There's a few different things you can look at, but the main thing that we see here uh, in this chapter is God's wisdom regarding personal finance. Uh, God's wisdom regarding personal finance. Let's stop there. Uh, take a moment and pray and thank God for his word. Let's bow our heads. Father, we do thank you this morning, Lord, uh, for the Bible. Lord, thank you for the, uh, the certainty that it's your word. Father, I thank you. There's so many reasons that we can believe that, uh, reasons that uh, appeal to just that reason, uh, our intellect even. But Lord, I, I thank you that more than that this morning, uh, you've shown us in your word and convicted us in our hearts uh, that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and that prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. These are your words, Lord, and I thank you so much for that. Uh, Father, I pray that you'll help me now. I most certainly need it. Help each one who's watching now to uh, get down these principles. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would apply them to our hearts. Uh, give us a heart to know these things, uh, to learn them, and to walk in them. Uh, Lord, we know that'll be a help to us and it'll bring glory to you as well. Father, I love you. I thank you. I ask that you would work here now for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. So, uh, amen. You heard me pray about uh, the fact that uh, these words here in the book of Proverbs, they are in fact God's words. Uh, the Bible has made that very clear. All prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man, uh, but the Holy Spirit gave these words to, to holy men. And we thank God this morning for the, the certainty of that, the conviction of that, that God gives us in our own spirit. And one of the reasons that I, I emphasize this truth this morning is that uh, there has been an attack on this particular chapter, actually a portion of this chapter, uh, as well as the next chapter. Uh, and the reason is this, uh, some scholars made the observation that uh, large portions of this chapter are, quote, strikingly similar uh, to an Egyptian book that dates back to around 1000 BC, that's their best guess, uh, which is called the Wisdom of Amenemope, and I'm probably not pronouncing that exactly right, but you get the idea. Uh, some have suggested that because of the striking similarities 
that necessarily means that Solomon must have borrowed uh, some of these words from that uh, secular book from a, uh, a lost wicked writer uh, in Egypt, or presumably that's that it was a lost person uh, there in Egypt. Now, stop and think about that and just uh, apply a little bit of a logic for one moment. God's given us logic. We do well to employ it uh, to consider some of these things. Uh, if these two writings appear around the same time, at least according to scholars, and, and we would agree that could be the case, uh, it is likely that one man borrowed from another, or perhaps both borrowed from the same source, but uh, I would argue this morning that the explanation for this is that the Egyptian writer uh, borrowed from Solomon who received these words from God uh, and not the other way around. It's not that Solomon borrowed from an Egyptian writer rather than uh, receiving these words from God. It's, it's just not the case. Biblically, that's not possible. God has convicted us that his word is true, uh, and so we must continue to accept that all of these words uh, are in fact God's words. So I don't know if you've come across this uh, issue before, perhaps you haven't, but uh, you'll hear this from time to time, oh, the Bible writer borrowed from this person or that person. Now, there is something different in the New Testament. There's a couple of places where uh, Paul does refer to the Greek poets, and he makes it clear that he's doing that, and basically there he's illustrating uh, things that would be familiar to uh, the Greeks uh, uh, using their own poetry, but he, he makes it clear that he's doing that, and that's different, of course, and uh, obviously the Holy Spirit led Paul to do that uh, and then to go on and, and, and teach uh, what is true according to the Lord, so that's different, that, that's different. Um, so we're here this morning now, with, with that said, uh, in Proverbs uh, chapter 22, and just give you a quick reminder of one of the things that we saw last week. In Proverbs 21, we looked at this idea of, a, of, of the structure of the book, the so-called chiastic structure, uh, how everything seems to go from the top toward a center, a central truth, and then kind of reverse out backwards away from uh, that central truth. And uh, we saw uh, last week in Proverbs 21, the central truth of that chapter uh, appears to be stated that when the wise is instructed, uh, he receiveth knowledge. A wise man will receive instruction from the Lord. Uh, he will not reject it, and, and as a result, he will have knowledge of God uh, and God's words uh, and God's wisdom, uh, and that's, that's, a, that's an important truth. If you look here in, in Proverbs 22 now, uh, there, there's a central theme in this chapter as well, uh, but I see it here as uh, several verses beginning uh, in uh, chapter, well, we're in chapter 22, verse 17. So I want you to see here just several verses, uh, 17 through 20 or so, uh, a central uh, point, a central uh, truth and then the application of that truth will be mainly to the area of our personal finances. Uh, so we'll see a central truth that's quite general, uh, and then the application of that central truth, in this chapter at least, will be to personal finances. So uh, look with me here first uh, in verse 17. Uh, here there's a command, uh, there's a command here, uh, to hear and to apply the words of the wise. So verse 17 says, bow down thine ear, uh, bow your ear down 
uh, and hear. That makes sense. That's what ears are for. They're there to hear. Bow your ear. Incline your ear to hear God's words. Hear the words of the wise. Now, this is Solomon, a father, writing to his children uh, in a practical sense, but it's God writing through Solomon to all of his children, all of us as well. Uh, a wise father will say, bow down your ear, incline your ear, and hear wisdom. Don't reject it. Uh, instead, the remainder of verse 17 says, apply thine, apply thine heart also unto my knowledge. Have a heart to bow your ear, to incline your ear, and to hear, don't reject these words of knowledge. There's so much trouble in the world today. So much of what we see in the world today that is so contrary to the word of God is because parents have not encouraged their children to bow their ear to God's words, uh, to hear them. Listen, they're quick, they're powerful, they're alive. They will change us if we will hear them. Uh, there's two results of this. There's, there's two results of a willingness to bow your ear to God's words uh, and to hear them. Verse 18 uh, shows us two results. First thing it says, it's pleasant, it's joyful. Uh, it is, for it is a pleasant thing if thou keep them within thee. If you bow your ear and hear them and get knowledge of God's words and, and keep them within you, hold on tightly to them, that's a pleasant thing. That's a good thing. We need some pleasant things, right? Uh, it's a pleasant thing if thou keep them within thee. They shall, uh, here's a second thing, they shall be uh, withal be fitted uh, in thy lips. The words of God uh, that get in through the ear and down into your heart, and if you hold on to them there, uh, they affect our mouths. And uh, I'll pray again this morning, Lord, help your words to uh, affect my mouth, uh, to change my words. Help my mouth to be conformed to your will uh, and, and, and to be a, a speaker of, help me to be a speaker of your words, not my words. Uh, so it's pleasant uh, and it changes us. It changes us from the core and it changes what comes out of us. Uh, and that's a good thing. Verse 19 adds another benefit of this. Uh, faith, faith is the idea. Verse 19 says that, remember you can read that as so that, uh, thy trust may be in the Lord. Uh, if you will get yourself into God's words, if you will get other people, uh, encourage them to get into God's words, hold their hand, get them in there, lead them in, uh, that encourages a trust uh, a faith in God, uh, that they, that they um, let me try that again, I get excited, that thy trust may be in the Lord, and he writes, I have made known to thee this day, even to thee. So there's a command, bow your ear uh, to the words of the wise and apply them to your heart. There's, there's three benefits, it's pleasant, uh, it, it affects what we say, uh, and it, it affects a great faith, a growing faith uh, within us. And uh, we need that. Uh, we need that. The world is saying there's no such thing as truth. Uh, there's no such thing as, as true hope. Uh, that, you, that You can put your faith in whatever you want. It can be whatever you choose. No, our, our faith needs to be in the one true God. And the words of that one true God encourage us. Uh, they encourage us to do this. Uh, there's two more benefits in verse 20, and then we'll, we'll get over now to the application. Uh, verse 20 says this, Have not I written to thee excellent things in counsels and knowledge that I, may, that I make thee know the certainty of the words of truth that thou mightest answer the words of truth 
to them that send unto thee. Uh, Note a couple of references to truth. Bible truth is absolute truth. Uh, It's not the relative truth of today's philosophy. Uh, When you get yourself into the words of God and apply them to your heart, uh, you know from the Lord the certainty of the truth of his word, and that prepares you to share the truth of his word and to testify to the certainty of its absolute truth uh, to others. Uh, if, if, you're, if you've been kind of caught up in the, uh, the world's philosophy of relative truth and, and many truths, uh, you get yourself into the word of God, you quickly realize the Bible does not accommodate that idea. The Bible presents God as absolutely true and his words are absolutely true. And as you get into the word of God, uh, it shows us that and it convicts us that they are in fact, God's words are in fact absolutely true. Uh, And then you're prepared, you're equipped by God's words to share the absolute truth with others. Praise God for that. Uh, Praise God. We're we're swimming in a sea of a philosophy that rejects absolute truth, but the Bible reveals God and his words to be 100% absolutely true uh, and unchanging. Praise God for that this morning. Uh, I find great comfort in that, and I hope that you do too. Well, let's move on now. Uh, let's move on now. So the, these are the central truths of the chapter. Uh, and then uh, we see the, everything kind of uh, narrowing down to that and, and flowing back out from that with an application that is mostly about how we handle our personal finances. Uh, the chapter has a number of verses that contrast the rich and the poor. Um, and uh, I don't know, seven or eight different verses that speak to one or both uh, of those conditions, being uh, financially or materially rich uh, versus materially poor. Now, before we, before we see that, uh, some of the very practical uh, principles here, uh, I want you to see what God wants us to see at the beginning of this, um, this topic. Verse 1, Proverbs 22 and verse 1, shows us what our priority is to be. As people who know the Lord, first, I mean, obviously that's our first priority, being sure that we've repented of sin and placed our faith in Christ for forgiveness of sin. uh, That's the first thing. That's our greatest priority. But but after that, uh, the Lord shows us that uh, wealth, uh, being rich, is not to be our top priority, Uh, There's other things, there's other goals that God has laid out for us that are to be a higher priority. And the first thing is a good name, Uh, a good name. Uh, uh, Verse 1 says, a good name uh, is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Now, a good name, what is that? Well, I believe it would be, uh, in the context of Scripture at least, one Uh, Someone who has a good name is someone that would be known for their godliness, uh, for their Christ-likeness, someone who is known for their godly virtues. Having a reputation and a testimony of godliness is more valuable, according to the Bible, uh, than riches. It is to be a higher priority than gaining wealth, Uh, and that's important. 
uh, in Ecclesiastes 6 and verse 7, also uh, penned down by Solomon. Chapter 6, and uh, actually it's chapter 7 and verse 1. Uh, there the Bible says a good name is better than precious ointment. So uh, it's better than wealth. It's better than the things that wealth can uh, give us, the material things that, that come along with wealth. Lord, help us to care about our reputation uh, and our test. Our reputation is our testimony uh, for you. Help us to appreciate the worth, the value of that. Uh, it's worth more than riches and the things uh, that riches can uh, purchase. That's the first thing. Uh, secondly, we see here in, in verse 2, <clears throat> the Bible will, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, throughout the chapter, the Bible will contrast the rich and the poor. Um, and in many cases, it prevents, or forgive me, it presents, it presents uh, wealth as a blessing uh, and, and poverty as the opposite of that. Now, of course, that's not always true. Uh, some people who are very, very godly are not very wealthy at all. In fact, uh, in a strictly uh, financial or worldly sense, they're, they're quite poor. Um, God meets their needs, but uh, not much more than that. Uh, verse 2 makes it clear the Lord, uh, the Lord makes both. Uh, God is the God of both the rich and the poor. Uh, at the end of the day, our wealth does not get us into heaven, neither does our poverty. Whether we are rich or poor, the Lord is our maker, he is our God, and that's what matters more than uh, one versus the other. Uh, verse 2 says the rich and the poor meet together, the Lord is the maker of them all. Now those are some general thoughts, and then uh, we see a variety of very practical personal financial principles that build out from that central truth and these kind of general introductory truths regarding wealth and um, wealth and, and poverty. Uh, and we'll see here now uh, quickly, uh, we'll, we'll not uh, spend a lot of time on any of these points, but I want you to make a list, please. Just, just make a list of, of personal financial uh, principles that we can see, and it's a number of them that we can see in this one short chapter uh, of Scripture. So number one, we see wisdom regarding borrowing, taking out loans, borrowing money, taking out loans. Uh, there can be negative consequences uh, to doing that. We see this in verse 7. So we're in Proverbs 22, uh, verse 7. The Bible says, the rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. The rich ruleth over the poor. That's just a fact. The rich have, uh, be, uh, th those that loan uh, have a degree of authority over those to whom they, they loan. Uh, and the borrower is servant to the lender. There's a very, uh, very practical truth here. If you borrow, uh, especially a large amount of money, uh, you become kind of a servant to the loan uh, and to the, the one who made the loan to you. Um, we see this idea in 2 Kings 4, uh, the poor widow in the account of Elisha. Uh, you remember the account there. Uh, she was very concerned. The creditor has come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. Because she was unable to pay her loan, uh, the one who had made the loan was coming to take up the collateral, uh, her two sons uh, who would serve. That's great consequence. Uh, it's a great consequence. Now, the Bible, of course, does not absolutely prohibit 
uh, taking out loans. You may need to take out a loan to purchase a home uh, or to purchase a car. It would always be better uh, to save and, and, and buy after you've uh, saved the money. And sometimes uh, loans can be taken wisely, but realize that it limits us in terms of our uh, uh, freedom to do whatever God may have us to do. Uh, if, if you've taken out a large loan and, and you can't easily pay off that loan, if perhaps the home has uh, reduced in value and selling it would not pay off the loan, uh, there's a very real sense at times which we could be trapped. Maybe God is calling you to the mission field or to some other area uh, of the country where he would have you to serve, and you're not able to do that because of a loan. So uh, there can be very, very real consequences uh, certainly. Uh, by the way, the Bible does, someone say, well, just don't pay off the loan. Just, just you know, ignore it. Uh, the Bible uh, refers to that as wickedness. Psalm 37 and verse 21, Psalm 37, 21 says, the wicked borroweth and payeth not. It's not wicked to borrow, but it's wicked to not pay off the loan uh, and payeth not again. Uh, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. Uh, it's a wicked thing to just uh, say, you know what, I'm just going to walk away from this debt. I'm going to ignore it. I'm just going to declare bankruptcy uh, and that not pay off my loans. No, that's a wicked thing. Uh, that, that's not a godly thing at all. Uh, so there's, there's, there's consequences uh, to borrowing. We need to keep that in mind. Again, I'll say the Bible does not uh, prohibit absolutely borrowing. I think it can be done wisely but we need to consider the consequences. We need to consider the consequences. Uh, number two, uh, there's wisdom here regarding giving and lending. So we've looked at the borrowing side of that equation. The, there's wisdom regarding giving uh, and lending. We see here uh, in our passage that those who give generously to the poor uh, will be blessed. Uh, verse nine says this, he that hath a bountiful eye uh, a good eye, uh, it's a metaphor for generosity, uh, shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread uh, to the poor. Now, that's just giving. Uh, I don't think that verse is referring to lending with the intention that th the amount that was given be returned. That's just giving. Of course, we're called as, as believers to, uh, as God allows, as, as God gives us resources to do so, uh, to give uh, to help meet the needs of others. And of course, we, uh, you know, in our church, we have a benevolence account. We used to call it deacon's account um, where you are uh, invited to give so that we can help meet some of the practical needs of, of those in our church. Uh, the Bible says, he that have a bountiful eye, a good eye, generosity shall be blessed as you give to meet the practical needs of those who have need, God will bless you. That's not a health and a wealth gospel. It's just a general biblical principle. As you give, God will bless. Um, Psalm, a couple of cross-references. Psalm 37, 26, uh, referring to the, the good man again, the righteous, he's ever merciful uh, and lendeth and his seed is blessed. Uh, sometimes uh, 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 one who has the opportunity to make a loan uh, can do that wisely, and, and God views that as righteous, and there's blessings in store both for those who give without the intention of being repaid, uh, as well as those who give with the intention of being repaid. We'll see here so long as, uh, so long as there's no intention to take advantage of the one that you are giving to. 
Well, how might someone take advantage of someone to whom they are making a loan? Well, charging interest that would be um, difficult for uh, someone to repay. Taking advantage of someone who is very desperate by charging uh, a very high rate of interest. Uh, basically charging them more than you loan uh, for the, the, the right to have a loan from you. And we understand that's how loans work today. Uh, if you buy a car or buy a home, there's a certain amount of money that, that the, the bank will charge you to use their money. Uh, and, and that uh, generally inflates the, the cost of the loan greatly over time. Uh, even as uh, interest rates today are relatively low, the cost over time, uh, is, it can be quite high. So um, the Bible does have much to say about charging interest. Uh, when you make a loan, this is called usury in scripture, U-S-E-R-Y. Uh, see uh, in verse 16, uh, this was specifically prohibited under the law when the person to whom the loan was issued uh, was poor. Uh, look, look in verse 16. We're in Proverbs 22, verse 16. Uh, there the Bible says, He that oppresseth the poor to increase his riches, and he that giveth to the rich shall come, uh, shall come to want. Uh, so taking advantage of the poor, charging, uh, charging, um, charging interest is, uh, we'll, see, we'll see more of this uh, as we get deeper into the passage here. Uh, also, requiring collateral. Uh, requiring collateral was forbidden under the law. Uh, if uh, there was the possibility that losing that collateral uh, would cause someone to lose their livelihood. Now, collateral, you understand what that is. Collateral is something that you put up when you take out a loan where you say, listen, if I am not able to repay this loan, you may take this item from me, whatever it is. It could be uh, some, some expensive item that would be worth at least as much as you were borrowing. Uh, you pledge to the lender that if you cannot repay, they may take that item as full payment uh, for the loan. Uh, under the Old Testament law, and, and this is, I, I think this is just good and wise and uh, and righteous and loving, the Bible forbids someone from asking for a specific type of collateral that would prevent the person from earning a living in the event they needed to give the collateral to the person that was making the loan. There's an example in Deuteronomy 24 and verse 6. Deuteronomy 24 and verse 6, it says, No man shall take the nether or the upper millstone to pledge. For he taketh a man's life to pledge. The millstone was that big giant circular stone that was used to crush grain. And uh, someone who made their living by uh, manufacturing flour uh, by, by the use of the millstone, uh, if they had to uh, repay a loan by giving away their millstone, they, they would literally not be able to continue to make their living. And so this is the idea. In Job 24.3, uh, another example was given, uh, a widow's ox for a pledge. If, if she was dependent upon that ox for uh, her livelihood, uh, that could not be made as or taken as collateral under the law. I think, uh, generally speaking today, collateral is not something that we see much in practice. Uh, maybe it's more something that um, individuals who loan money to one another more casually uh, might consider. Uh, next thing we see here, uh, we've, we've seen this already, but 
Uh, let, me, let me restate this. Debts are to be repaid. <laughs> Debts are uh, to be repaid. Um, Romans 13, 8 says, Owe no man anything uh, but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Uh, owe no man anything. Now, I, some have taken that to mean that you shouldn't uh, borrow at all. and I'm not sure that's right, but certainly there's an implication that if you do borrow, uh, we need to pay that, pay that amount back. Okay, next, next big thing. We see another principle, sort of a general principle here. Uh, this chapter uh, compares uh, the product of slothfulness to the product of diligence. Is this a personal financial principle? Well, it is. Uh, it is, and the Bible always associates working diligently with the practicality of having those things that you need, uh, just practically speaking. Diligent work uh, tends to produce the wages uh, that are needed to purchase the things that we have practical need of. There's uh, all too many people in the world who are just thoughtful. Uh, they're able to work, but are unwilling to work, and, and therefore uh, they don't have the things that they need uh, practically. Whereas someone who is diligent in school and diligent uh, to find work and, and diligent in their work, uh, they tend to be blessed by the Lord for their diligence. Um, verse 13 says this, the slothful man saith, there is a lion without, I shall be slain in the streets. Uh, I think you get the idea here. Uh, one who is slothful, rather than working hard, slothfulness is laziness, right? Uh, rather than getting up and getting out and doing the work, they will make excuses. Uh, there's always an excuse to not get up and get out and to find work and to get up and get out and to get to work. And when you get, there's always excuses. There's danger. Uh, there, there's a lion in the way. Uh, I, I shall be slain uh, in the streets. And you know, you might say, well, there's some danger in the streets today. Uh, yeah, there, there probably always has been, uh, but there, we, are, we are called to be people who work diligently rather than making excuses. Uh, Proverbs 6.6 6, uh, is the, the famous well-known illustration of uh, how diligent ants are. Uh, in Proverbs uh, 6, beginning in verse 6, the, the Lord says, Go to the ant, see the ant, that little tiny ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When will thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, and thy want uh, as an armed man. Uh, it is a fact that many are very poor because they have chosen to be lazy, uh, sluggardly, rather than choosing uh, to be diligent. Now I'll realize, and I'll say this in love, that is not always the case. But very often it is the case that people uh, simply do not have all that they need because they have chosen uh, to not be as diligent as they possibly can. Again, I'll state that is not always the case, but it is often, often the case. Uh, in, in our passage, Proverbs 22 and verse 29, uh, we see that God blesses a diligent man. Uh, verse 29. Seeth thou a man diligent in his business? Uh, he shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. Well, that's a picture of, of, of God's blessing. 
Uh, see thou a man diligent in his business, uh, a hardworking man who's focused on getting, he's not making his life all about his work, doesn't say that, but he's diligent uh, in his work. He, uh, he's, he's, there's a focus, a, a reasonable focus, uh, and a dedication to getting work done, and uh, there's, God blesses that. God makes that possible, uh, and he also blesses, he also uh, blesses that. Uh, next thing, uh, number four uh, in my outline, you, I haven't been diligent to give you uh, a numbering system in the, my outline this morning, but uh, number four, the Bible does have much to say about uh, wrong gain or wrong use of gain, and we've talked about, already alluded to this idea of usury. Um, we see here in verse 16, he, again, we, we saw this, but see it again. Uh, he that oppresseth the poor to increase his riches, and he that giveth to the rich shall surely come to want. Um, so this is, uh, there's wrong use of what God blesses us with. Uh, oppressing the poor, uh, this idea of usury. Verse 22 says, rob not the poor because he is poor, neither oppress the afflicted in the gates. Uh, the idea here is not do anything that would take advantage of the poor. Uh, and I think there's, there's much that could be said here without getting uh, political in any way. Uh, the Bible does teach against uh, charging interest that is unfair uh, or oppressive or that would make it very hard uh, to pay back. We see that back in Exodus 22. Uh, we see that in um, various places uh, in Scripture. Um, God desires that we be a help a loving help uh, to the needy rather than people who would take advantage, uh, who would take advantage of the needy. Uh, go with me, please, to verse 26, number five this morning. Uh, the Bible has some to say about co-signing loans, about co-signing loans. Uh, generally speaking, the Bible teaches that it is, I should say, generally unwise to co-sign a loan. Now, I don't think there's an absolute prohibition of this. I think it might be uh, not inconsistent with Scripture for a parent to co-sign for a, uh, a wise, diligent uh, adult child, something like that. Uh, maybe maybe co-signing or guaranteeing a, a college loan or something like that uh, might not be inconsistent with Scripture. Uh, but Scripture does uh, certainly teach um, the wisdom of refraining from co-signing in many cases. Look at verse 26. Uh, here the Bible says, Be not thou one of them that strike hands, or of them that are sureties for debts. So striking hands uh, would be a, a picture of entering into an agreement. Uh, financial agreements are often sealed with a handshake, right? So that, that's the idea. Uh, or of them that are sureties for debts. Uh, one who is a co-signer is basically pledging to make sure, uh, to be a surety for the debt, to make sure that the debt is paid off if the person to whom the money is loaned uh, doesn't pay it off. So uh, it's the idea of being uh, a co-signer in the loan. The uh, Bible says here, don't, don't do that. Uh, don't do that, and there's reasons. Verse 27 says, If thou hast nothing to pay, uh, why should he take away thy bed from under uh, thee? 
What's the idea there? Well, the Bible's saying, listen, um, the person that's taking the loan, they may not be able to pay, and then the responsibility is going to be on you to pay. What if you can't pay? There's, there's always that possibility. What, what if you can't pay? Uh, and and, and the, the, the illustration here is uh, you could lose things that are important to you. Uh, your bed is, is what the verse says. Uh, the, the one making the loan may take things from you, collateral basically, if you are not able to pay. Uh, and so the, the general principle in scripture is to uh, refrain from, to avoid serving as a co-signer on loans. Uh, certainly this would be uh, true in the case of, of people who you don't know extremely well. Uh, the, the principle here is, is to not do it, is, is to not do it. Uh, Proverbs 6 and verse 1 says, My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thine hand with a stranger, thou art snared with the words of thy mouth, thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Uh, that passage says, Do this now, my son, and deliver thyself. Uh, what does that mean? It means get yourself out of that arrangement as quickly as you can. Uh, if, if there's a way to get yourself off of that loan as the co-signer, do that. Uh, get yourself out of that situation because the consequences for you uh, may be uh, serious consequences indeed. Proverbs 11 and verse 15 says, He that is surety for a stranger shall smart for it. And he that hateth suretorship is sure. Uh, he that hateth suretorship is sure. Uh, that's, that's a, I think at this point we can understand that. Uh, hate this idea of co-signing loans. Uh, don't do it. Uh, that, that will ensure uh, your own financial sureness or soundness. Uh, it is not a wise thing to co-sign loans. Listen, stop and think about why, why would that be just practically? Well, if someone needs a co-signer, it means that the bank or the individual that is considering making a loan to that person does not believe that it is highly likely that that person will be able to pay the loan. They are not confident that that person will necessarily be able to pay off the loan, and so they are asking someone else uh, who has a, a better financial situation to come in and say, well, uh, I, I have the, the ability to do that, uh, and so I will guarantee uh, the, the loan of this person who is less credit worthy. You understand that. If, if someone needs a cosigner, there's a high likelihood that they may not be able to pay off the loan. Uh, and I realize that that isn't always the case, but very often it would be the case. In the case of a, a parent co-signing for a, a, a child, uh, they might need a co-signer simply because they haven't had an opportunity to build up a credit rating. I understand that. Uh, so I think that might be a, a case where it, it might be okay, but the general biblical principle is to not engage in co-signing loans uh, it is an unwise practice. Uh, it's an unwise practice. Uh, so what have we seen here? Uh, we've seen the biblical principles, uh, biblical personal financial principles of working hard and being blessed for that, not being slothful. Uh, we've seen wisdom regarding borrowing. Be careful 
uh, when borrowing. There's consequences for borrowing. Uh, we've seen the biblical principle of giving to those that are in need, and in some cases, it can be appropriate to lend with the expectation of uh, the, the money being returned. Uh, taking care, if you are the one lending the money, uh, to not charge interest that would be unfair or oppressive. And I think generally if believers are making loans to one another, um, just you know, keeping the, the notion of interest off the table may, may be the best thing. Uh, if you're one who is taking out a loan, if you choose to do that, uh, the Bible makes it very clear that uh, it is wicked to not pay the loan off. It is our obligation and our duty uh, to do that. Uh, and a good biblical application would be Christians should refrain generally from bankruptcy. Uh, bankruptcy is a way to get out from the obligation, the duty to repay. That is not biblical. That is not biblical. Uh, we've seen the idea uh, here of um, the danger, uh, the, the um, foolishness often of co-signing loans. And so we've seen that warning as well. Uh, very quickly in closing, and, and we, we are essentially done here, I want to just bring out one um, related theme or one perhaps sub-theme uh, in this passage this morning. Um, so we, we've seen the general theme in, at the center We've seen the practical application of that to the area of personal finances. And the last thing, very quickly, and I mean that <laughs> very quickly, um, we see the responsibility of parents to teach these things to their children. Uh, Proverbs 22 and verse 6 is a well-known verse. It says this, train up a child in the way he should go. Train up a child, parent, in the way that he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, teach these things to your children. They may stumble and fall down financially along the way as they are learning to apply these things. But if you have taught them what is wise according to God's words, eventually when they are old, they will not depart from these things. But parents have the responsibility to teach and to train. Uh, remember, training requires revisiting what you've taught um, and applying it and helping um, and providing support in, in, in these things. Uh, it's not just a one-time thing. Uh, similarly, uh, Proverbs 22 and verse 15 says, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Uh, young people, uh, we all were young at one time, right? We're naturally very foolish uh, and, and naturally quite foolish in our financial dealings about those two verses as a parent. And you need to be prepared to train your children in these things and to correct them in these things along the way. Uh, that can start at a young age. You know, you can begin teaching your children biblical financial principles when they're quite young. I don't think it's inappropriate that children be required to do chores. I don't think it's inappropriate that there be a small allowance uh, that would teach the principle of benefiting from diligence. If they have a small allowance, well, now you can teach them about saving and uh, principles that go along with that. So uh, that's just a, a very general thought about very practical application uh, in respect to training uh, children in this area. So uh, this is just one chapter in Scripture where we do find 
uh, personal financial principles. There's lots of other places we could look, but Proverbs chapter 22 is a very good place to begin looking at, hey, what does the Bible teach about personal finances? Of course, there's other things that are important, uh, tithing, uh, giving 10% of our gross income and uh, giving offerings above that as God leads. Many other things could be brought into this discussion, but uh, Proverbs chapter 22 is a great place to begin, and it is the word of God. Let's stop there and pray. Father, thank you this morning for uh, this passage. Thank you, Lord, that um, you do train us uh, as a loving father trains his children. You instruct us through your words, and uh, you do correct us when we depart from your words. Uh, for those of us who are parents or who will be parents, I pray that you help us to know your words and to train our children in your words and to correct them when they depart from them. Help us to teach that principle, that expectation uh, in life. Lord, I pray this morning specifically now that you help the people of our church to be wise and biblical in the handling of, of finances. Uh, Lord, I'm thankful this morning that if, if we'll apply the things that we see here in this passage, uh, we, you tend to bless with uh, reward for that. And we, we tend to have what we need, and we tend to be able to give uh, tithes and offerings as you instruct us to. Uh, and the church tends to have what it needs as a result of that. Uh, and so, Lord, I, I pray that you help us to apply these things to our lives um, in the most practical way. Help us to, uh, to not be careless or casual with our finances, but to be diligent in applying biblical financial principles in our own life in the most practical way. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the instruction that we receive from your word. I love you, and I thank you again. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, if you have questions, please don't hesitate to, to reach out, and uh, I'd be happy to discuss any of these things with you. Uh, our next live stream today, uh, our service here will begin at 11 o'clock, but our live stream will be delayed just a little bit this morning uh, to around 11.10 or so. So uh, don't think you're in the wrong place uh, if you're watching at home or there's something wrong. It'll just be, it'll just be starting just slightly late this morning. Uh, but our, our live in-person service will begin promptly at 11 o'clock. So if you're planning to be here, uh, please do be. Please do be here for 11 o'clock. Okay, thank you.